Hi, my name is Jim Lashana, and I serve as the superintendent of the Friends Churches here in the Northwest Yearly Meeting, of which Woodland Friends is a part. And I'm so glad to be able to be with you here today in this time of worship. It's been a little while since I've been able to be there with you physically. It was the fall, I think, before COVID started. So it's been a little while. But I want you to know, even though I've not been with you physically during these past months, you've not been out of my mind or out of my prayers. In fact, I've been praying for you and with you during these days, along with many others, praying for Christy and Pastor Kevin as they have started their cancer journey. And you may know that Christy, uh, just this last Friday, had her first round of chemotherapy treatments. So, Christy, we are uh, praying for you, and so many are, are joining you in, in prayer for complete healing, and that's that's our, our continued prayer. I am also really thankful that Kevin was willing to give me a call and ask if I'd be available and willing to share with you here today, and so glad that it worked out to be able to do this virtually with you. I understand that that before Palm Sunday, so it's been a couple of weeks ago now, Kevin was leading you through a study in 1 Samuel. And so we're going to continue that here today, uh, looking, starting to look really, I guess you could say, at the life of David in what I'm calling the heart of the matter. You know that there are all kinds of fears that people have today. I mean, COVID would be one of those that lots of people in our world have. You might not have it, but I can tell you there are a lot of people all over the place, you know, uh, have it. But there are other, other kinds of fears, right? Uh, some are afraid of traveling. Uh, there's financial kinds of fears, health, other kinds of health issues. You know, one of the greatest fears, though, that people have, it's something that can be described and has been described in lots of ways. It's a fear of rejection failure, not fitting in. It's that feeling of being excluded, of being inferior, inadequate, not measuring up. I mean, again, there's so many different ways that we keep coming up new ways to talk about this kind of feeling, the feeling of the fear of being left out. Uh, um, the, the cancel culture, you've heard that term. People don't want to be canceled. So many ways to describe that kind of feeling. We've probably all felt it at some time or another. I can remember back when I was in third grade, a little kid, my family, and I, we had just moved here to actually to this town of Newburgh, Oregon. And um, I was introduced to a new game, <laughs> new to me anyway, softball. We didn't play it where, where I used to live growing up in Southern California, but everybody played it. At recess, that's just what you did. And I was small. I was young. <laughs> I was bad. Uh, and, and at recess, it was the third graders through the sixth graders that were all playing together at, at my grade school. And I got to tell you, nobody wanted me on their team. I was always chosen last. And it was bad enough, you know, when the teams were even, when there was an equal number of kids. But when there was an odd number of kids that wanted to play, that was horrible. I mean, it was humiliating. I can still hear those words. 
you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. I mean, I can tell you in the soul of a little third grader, devastating. I know that many of us have experienced that kind of stamp of rejection. Not good enough, not wanted, excluded. Maybe when you applied for a job or when you tried to make a new friend or tried to measure up to the standards of a coach or a teacher or a boss or maybe even your parents. It can be tough. You know that this is really a kind of a common theme in a lot of our stories and movies and TV shows in our culture today, even some of the older ones. You remember Rudolph? Uh, all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. He was the left out. Guy. Maybe that's kind of why I liked Rudolph. Where did he find that he fit? Island of Misfit Toys. Others who felt like they didn't fit in. Rejected. That kind of theme, It's it's been a real popular one in a lot of Disney movies, too. Think about Cinderella, Aladdin, so many. That's like the, the principal character starts out in that kind of way. It's, I, I think part of it is because the storytellers know a lot of us can identify with that. Charlie Brown probably speaks for many in our world today when he was explaining one day to Linus why he always had such a pervasive sense of inadequacy. He said, and I quote, it all started at the beginning. They took one look at me and said, not right for the part. Uh, right. That feeling can keep us locked in unwanted prisons of fear, afraid to move forward, afraid to reach out and make a friend, afraid to apply for a job. And you know what can impact? Churches. It can. It's that fear of being rejected that can keep us from reaching, from reaching out with the love of Christ to someone, to tell someone about Jesus. It's that fear of failure that can keep us sometimes from starting a new church. Fear. Well, no matter how big the fear is, catch this, God is bigger still. You can trust him. No matter how it looks, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's what we're going to think about a little bit more here today as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me today, we're going to be looking at the first half of that chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, while you're turning there, we know that David, you know, later in life, he was a, in fact, not much later, he was a giant killer, right? But his story doesn't start out there on the battlefield killing Goliath. It starts at least for us, sometime before that with an old priest who was probably kind of scared and a little confused, but he was faithful and setting a good example for David. There are four main observations that I want to share with you from these first verses here in First Samuel. And the first is this. To replace fear 
with faith and obedience. Look at verse 1 here of chapter 16. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, the Israelites, think about the context here. They'd been in the promised land for a long time. Heroes like Joshua and Moses, they are long gone. All the other nations had a king and the people of Israel, they wanted one too. Remember, so they demanded it. And Samuel, God's chosen priest, at least in their eyes, he wasn't good enough. So Saul became king of Israel. And remember, he was tall and strong, but he ended up not being fully faithful to the Lord. And in his disobedience, he rejected the lordship of God over him. And so God rejects him as king. So God sent Samuel on an errand here at the start of First Samuel 16. And the errand is to anoint a new king. And now Samuel doesn't know his name. He just knows that he's a son of Jesse. But there's one problem with all of this. Did you catch it? It's hazardous to anoint a king when another one already exists. Look at verse 2. Samuel replied and said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me. He says it again. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. What's kind of interesting about God's response to Samuel here is that God doesn't really tell Samuel that he wouldn't die, right? He simply tells him to go and to offer his sacrifice, to be, to be obedient to him. I, I gotta tell you, I think sometimes that's, that's the thing for us too, right? Sometimes we don't see the path clearly. We can't maybe see exactly where everything is gonna, gonna lead, but God asks us to trust him. We can trust him to replace fear with faith and obedience. And that when Samuel was obedient, God says, he's going to show him essentially what to do next. So what does Samuel do in response to that? Look at verse four. Samuel did what the Lord said. He did it. He obeyed. Now in the previous chapter, Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And here, he demonstrates it. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. All he knew is that he needed to be faithful and to follow. Same with you and me. You know, we don't know to what extent Samuel ended up having, you know, later on teaching opportunities or opportunities to disciple David. Probably did. I mean, we don't really know for sure to what extent. But Samuel's faith and example would have been a great model for David. And it led directly to David being anointed as king, replacing fear with faith and obedience. 
Well, the next thing that we see in this passage is that appearances can be deceiving. Look at the next part of verse four. It says, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now here, in this context, to be consecrated, it means to be, yes, to be set apart, but it means to be clean. I mean, literally, they probably took a bath and uh, got cleaned up for this ceremony and, and the celebration that was going to happen. They became ceremonially as well as probably physically clean in that moment. And then it goes on in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He was an impressive looking guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. It's sort of like, you know, we've been through this once before with Saul. Do you remember? And then God underscores it by saying this. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow. You know, it shouldn't have been a surprise again to Samuel because of the experience that he had recently had with Saul. But evidently it was. Samuel thought, surely Eliab is the guy. And if not him, well, then it must be one of the other brothers. And so what happens next? They all parade in front of him one at a time. Look in verse 8. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Wow. And the scene had probably kind of a dog show feel to it, right? Each time uh, one of the sons passes by, but then Samuel, you know, he's ready to give him the blue ribbon. You won? But God says no. God checks him. Samuel, probably like you and me, he he was impressed by what he saw. But God isn't. Appearances can be deceiving. Remember the story about the the girl who brought a boyfriend uh, home to meet her mom for the very first time. The mom was actually quite concerned because um, the this young man he had like every square inch of his skin was tattooed from his forehead and face and neck and arms, everything piercings all over the place, and his clothes looked like he was was in a gang. I mean, she was kind of concerned. And so the mom asked privately, uh, honey, are you sure he's nice? And the daughter said, of course he's nice, mom. Why else would he be doing 5,000 hours of community service? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So sometimes looks can deceive us. Sometimes looks don't deceive us. I mean, I guess we need, we need more information on some of these things, right? Um, yeah, evidently that's true in a lot of, of parts of our, our lives. But here's the deal. It never trips up 
God. God knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. So we might look like everything's going good on the outside. The Lord knows when we're in trouble and need him. And stuff maybe doesn't look so good, but God sees our heart. Appearances can be deceiving. It's a little a little uh, reminder for us that we need maybe a little more information. We need the Holy Spirit's eyes to see people around us and not cast negative judgments, but but to pray that God will help us to have his eyes as we see people around us, people for whom he died, people that he loves. So appearances can be deceiving, but notice this rejection really can be real. So, so look at verse 11. It's kind of interesting. It says, so he, Samuel, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? It's like, like Jesse didn't think to offer it up. Samuel had to ask. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. You know, after these seven sons passed by, this question that Samuel asked, it was sort of like uh, the one that caused Cinderella's stepmother to squirm. Is there anyone else? Was the question. And Jesse's answer was is really quite revealing. It it shows us something of the place that David had, at least within his household, if not the eyes of others. The word youngest here in Hebrew is katan. It's it's a diminutive term that can also mean small, insignificant, unimportant. David was the little brother. He was the baby, the runt. Now, I know we know the end of the story here. So we look back and we we know all the stuff that David ended up doing, all the things that he achieved. 66 chapters. There, there, there's a few bullet points. 66 chapters in the Bible are devoted to his story more than to anyone else except for Jesus. In the New Testament, he's mentioned 59 times. David established and inhabited the world's most famous city, arguably, Jerusalem. The son of God was called the son of David. Great psalms flowed from his pen. He literally became a giant killer. But not here, not yet. David was an unlikely candidate. It's hard for us to remember. He was unlikely to become king. He was too young, too small, no combat experience, no meetings with international leaders to figure out border issues. I mean, whatever the, the, the issues were, he, he didn't have any of that. Not only was he considered, not only was he not considered as a candidate, this is just kind of amazing to me. Do you realize his dad didn't even have him get cleaned up like all of his brothers, he wasn't even invited to the party to celebrate whoever was going to be anointed as king. David knew the feeling of exclusion and rejection. But notice this. God's grace. It's amazing. Verse 12. It says, so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Uh, just coming from the sheep area, 
kind of ruddy. Uh, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah, went back um, to that place. You know, we don't know exactly how far away David was from this gathering. But when he arrives on the scene, what human eyes saw was probably a gangly teenager smelling like sheep, looking like he needed a bath because he probably did need one. And God said, this is him. This is the one. God chose David. We look at the outside appearance. God looks at the heart. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And as you'll see in later weeks, I'm sure Kevin will end up talking about some of these things. He was not a perfect person, but he had a heart that wanted to follow the Lord. You know, my experiences as a third grader at recess continued throughout that year. But then something happened. Two words. Mark Holiday. Mark was a, a big fifth grader. He was a star athlete. He was ahead of his peers in terms of his, some of his physical development as a little kid. And I'll never forget one day at recess, he was a captain and I was standing against the fence, you know, with all the other kids. And then it happened. He chose me couldn't believe it. I mean, when he didn't have to, he chose me. I wasn't the last one. He chose me. I'd like to say that I hit a home run in that game or something great. I didn't. I probably struck out. I have no idea. I don't remember that part. What I remember was him choosing me. It was huge. It made a significant difference in the life of a little third grader that I still remember to this day. You know, years later in high school, so we were a few years apart, so it took a little while till uh, we were in school again together. Uh, in high school and then college, we became friends. He ended up being one of the groomsmen in our wedding. Mark chose me. God chose David, and God chooses you. When it comes to feelings of exclusion or the reality of rejection, so often we're tempted to focus on those fears, right? But we need to remember that just like back here in 1 Samuel 16, God doesn't measure us like others do. He made you. He loves you. And like David, He's chosen you. Listen to these verses from the New Testament, um, reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You can look them up later, but it's 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 2 at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You belong to him, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now. 
You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Once you weren't on a team, I'm adding this part, now you're on God's team. What a great thought. What an amazing God. God made you. He loves you. He chooses you. He wants you on his team. You know, that's true for you personally. That's also true for you as a church family, Woodland Friends Church. You know, what if God is calling you, choosing you to reach out to people in the surrounding area, up there on the hill, down the valley, various other places? What if God is calling you, choosing you to help reach out to someone else, to get past those fears that, I don't know if you have this personally, but some might, the fears of rejection. What if God is calling you to help others to be included on God's team? What if God is calling you as a church family to help others become included in a church like yours, but in some other neighborhoods? What if God wants to help you guys to start some new churches between like where you're located and and up in Spokane or Coeur d'Alene? There's a lot of area in there. Kevin and I have talked about this. There's a lot of places that could use some new churches. What if God has placed you strategically where you are to help others belong and to fit? in God's family, on his team. You know, it's true, again, feelings of exclusion, they're real. But God is bigger than all of that. We need to remember to replace fear with faith and obedience. That appearances can be deceiving, but to focus, to focus on the God who loves you, whose grace is amazing for you. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you for your love and goodness to us. Thank you that you do desire us to be in your family. Thank you that you, just like choosing David for that role, you choose us to be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, thank you that it's not just us that you love, but as we were reminded at Easter and the resurrection, uh, this last week and the, the anniversary of that, the, the celebration of that, thank you that you love not only us, but everyone else too. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have your eyes, to not be um, turned away at at the appearances that can be deceiving, but to have your eyes for people who need you. And, Lord, perhaps there's even someone here today listening to my words who has been far from you, but they want to be close to you, uh, to say yes, to be on your team. And Lord, if that's true, I pray that you'd help them to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I know that I need you in my life. Thank you for loving me, for accepting me. I now want to say yes to you. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sins and give me a fresh start and a new beginning as a part of your family. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for uh, giving me a fresh start today. And Lord, if someone has prayed this simple prayer with me, I ask that you would encourage them to share that with maybe Pastor Kevin or another Christian uh, that's in the church today that they know and respect so that we can pray for them and encourage them in their walk with you. And Lord, for, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to live in the knowledge of your grace and acceptance and may, uh, May your Holy Spirit give us 
new confidence as we live and follow you in faith and obedience. We thank you and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.